Welcome to Watch Party Wheel of Time. I'm your host, Ruark, joined once again by our panel of newbies. Say hello, panel. Hello. Hi. Hello, panel. Joining me today is Greg. How do? Playing the part of David. Playing the part of Greg is DW. What up? And Samaria's with us. Happy Sunday, guys. <laughs> um, you, you, you caught me off guard there. I was trying to think of a Star Trek quote real quick, but <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> Live long and prosper. There you go. There you go. All right. Um, so, yeah, another, another smaller cast than usual, but uh, that's okay. I like these smaller shows. They get to be a little more intimate. We have a lot more fun. Um, so... Before we get into it, I just want to remind you all about our social media. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at what watch party, W O T watch party. Uh, you can also leave us uh, email at what that's also what watch party at gmail.com. Uh, if you uh, want us to, we can read that on the air on our mailbag segment. And you can also leave us reviews at all of uh, wherever you found this podcast. Leave us a review there. Those reviews help us get in front of more more eyes and into more ears and so, help us know how we're doing yeah let us know how we're doing we we always love hearing from you yep yep uh today we're just gonna dive right into this our subject is the one power we're gonna get into what the one power is how it works what what some of the rules involved are so that we know a little bit more about the magic system that this this universe has um so to get into it, I just want to hear what you guys know about the One Power. Where Where's our knowledge base at right now? Mm. Well, it is, it is uh, while described as One Power, it is definitely divided into two kind of halves of the same whole um, that have a different uh, access. Males have access to one half, females have access to the other half, and one of them is currently corrupted. Oh, is that is that to a half or is it just sort of a perspective uh, perspective based thing? Well, I would say half based on the the discussions we were having a while ago about the um, Sangreals, where like one can be male energy and one can be female energy, kind of suggests that there is one or the other. Okay. I'm having a bit of a brain blast because if it is half, and I'm not saying it is or isn't, but if it is half, I wonder whether if, you know, the male side of it being corrupted doesn't affect the female side because, I mean, it's it's a balanced thing, right? If you can't have one without the other and one is out of commission for the time being, um, what does that do for the other bits? But I, I think I'm getting ahead of myself. Um <laughs> No, those are great thoughts. Thank you. Um, it literally just occurred to me this entire time. I've never thought about that. And now I'm like, hmm. No, I'd actually moment. put a few thoughts in my head too, Samaria. Yeah. Thank you. Um, let's see. Oh, one power. It is a core tenet of what makes up this world. And so I'm not sure if this universe could survive without the one power at all. So say if it gets taken out, what does that do to the structure of this universe? What does it do mm. to people both with and without access to the one power? Um, I don't know, but I do consider it, if not a core of this universe, then um, definitely a fundamental aspect of it. Okay. Yeah. 
And it seems to have elemental aspects to it um, and is used through weaving um, uh, and the can be stored slash also just assigned to do the same thing over and over again, not just utilized by people. It can be the people can put it into something. Okay. Right. And it, it, it also it has the power to destroy and the power to create, the power to heal and the power to kill. Very much so. I think that's a, a good uh, basic primer on on the one power that you guys just laid out there. Um, but we're going to get into it a little bit deeper. Uh, so the one power, also known as the true source, um, it is made up of two separate halves. These are very distinct and separate halves, Sidene and Sidar. Uh, Sidene is, is able to be wielded by male channelers, Sidar by female channelers. Um, and it's this, it's Sidene and Sidar uh, pushing and pulling, pulling at each other is what actually drives the wheel that is the basis for this world. That is what drives the cosmic wheel, is the interplay between Sidene and Sidar. Um, and one has to be wielded through much more force and the other is kind of relented to and allowed to do its path. Very much so, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and we'll get to that in, in some of this. Um, um, presumably the one, the, the Sidene and Sidar uh, were also created by the creator at the moment of creation at the same time that the wheel and the pattern itself were created. Um, and it's presumably infinite. It, it, it's not like a reservoir that can be used up. It's, it's presumably just a, a part of the universe that exists. It can be used at times and, and kind of the cosmological constant. It can, it can change form, but it doesn't go away as it were. Um, and yeah, what you were saying, uh, DW about, uh, having to, to use weaves to use it, uh, that that's very true. Um, there are, as you said, the five elemental powers, which we're, we're working with the, uh, captain planet elements here. We've got wind, water, earth, fire, and, and heart or spirit. Um, gotcha. And all things that are done with the one power are done with either one or a combination of up to all five of those powers weaved together in various ways. Yeah. I want to just stop there for a minute and see if that causes any, any more thoughts in, in any of you. Can you pick and choose? I feel like I, we've went over this before, but it's been a while. Um, like, can you decide I would like to be earth and water today? Um, it, it's not that you can only access one of the powers. All channelers can access all five of the powers. Okay. Um, they, they do tend to be stronger in, in one or two than the others. And that tends to fall upon gender lines. Like women, for instance, gen generally tend to be stronger in air and water. Men tend to be stronger in fire and earth, and they both tend to be equally not very strong in spirit. So along those lines, could it also be argued that Sidin and Sadar are stronger in one or the other of the elements? It's not necessarily the wielder, it's that the, the source is stronger of Sidin in water and 
That, is that possible? That is entirely possible. That's actually something I've never thought of, but that I, it, it is kind of a chicken and the egg thing. Yeah. Uh, it's like, where do the specialties come in? Yeah. And, well, and saying, I can, saying that they're not, that neither are really strong in the spirit. Um, there, does, that, that's not a, none of these are hard and fast rules. Okay. So on average, men will be stronger in fire and, and, and earth. But there are women who are strong in fire and earth and, and as strong as any man in those. Um, and as I said, spirit tends to be equally not very strong in, in either sex. But there are some people who are very strong in spirit. So does that explain Nynaeve? Mm-hmm. She's a spirit wielder. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the healing thing, uh, being able to heal, say, the dead, uh, <laughs> yeah. the newly dead... Makes makes it, um, it makes it sound like that's you know that that's that doesn't really fit with anything except we we spirit. do know from from things that Rafe has said that Nynaeve was not entirely dead in that scene, she still had a spark of life to hold on to. So he didn't so, bring her back to life; he just yeah. stopped her from finishing dying. Yes. Okay. I feel happy. I think <laughs> I'll go for a walk. <laughs> Um, no, the, one of the things the Samaria's Blade. point that she made, <laughs> Samaria's point earlier has got me thinking a lot of things. Cause when you look at the balance of things, I, I've always laughed with, with star Wars and the balance of the force and the, you know, the idea that some people had with, Oh, well he destroyed Vader and that brought balance. It's like, no, no, that, that destroyed the dark side. That's not balance. Now the light side's all powerful. And it kind of Samaria's mention of, of if you're not utilizing the male side of things is that causing a swell or a weakness either side like it could it could be causing it to be more powerful because there's nothing opposing it in the wheel in the turning of the wheel or Mm. it could be causing it to strain because it's getting used more than the male side like the the implications could be bent to kind of how you want the story to go and it makes me now curious if that's going to be an aspect of the story especially with every hmm that we get out of Ruark. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, a that, concept that... that comes up in Avatar, you know, if yeah. there's mm-hmm. a hundred years and airbending is pretty much wiped out from existence and then you have Aang come back into existence, but he's still literally the only one, you know, as an Avatar, um what what does that what does that do for the other three nations, you know? They there's like just lost knowledge just on a practical level, but spiritually we learn that things are literally out of whack. Things are dying when they're not supposed to, things are not growing how they're supposed to. And so if we can apply that kind of concept to the wheel, the wheelie universe, uh, I don't think the female side of the one power is doing too hot. And even if it is, you know, becoming more powerful, that might not be a good thing. Right. Yeah. Because for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And having the male side come in means another possible breaking. So that's what they're flirting with. And and my brain also pulling, not just from Avatar, which I I literally just watched right before we started this podcast, um, but uh, also pulling from uh, some theories from Xanth. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Piers Anthony as much, but one of the aspects of Xanth is that everything either is magic or has magic. 
So if you don't have a magical ability, then there's something about you that is magic. And it makes me wonder if there are things within the Wheel of Time universe that in utilizing the elements also somewhat manage to kind of channel some of the magic, in which case, if they're ones that channel the Sidar, then are they also possibly getting somewhat corrupted? Because, like, like this really sent me down a bad rabbit hole, Samari. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're wondering if things created from Sidar, or Sidine, excuse me, um, would be corrupted because Sidine itself is corrupted. Yeah. Um, well, I think we have our answer to that in The Ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. If you remember The Ways, they were actually, they there was a Turangrial created called the, the Talisman of Growing, which is what the Ogier used to grow The Ways. That was given to them by male Aes Sedai during the breaking. So we know that the that Sidene had been tainted by that point, and it was in it was created entirely with Sidene. There was no Sidar involved, and then we see what's happened to the ways over time because of that tainted Sidene. So I think you you definitely hit on something right there. Hmm. So I would say probably anything before the taint made with Sidene is probably in the clear but anything made with Sidene after the taint is going to be tainted. So that that also suggests a theory that um, if you look at it like a, a liquid or something like that, that anything that dipped into the pool before the taint was put in there is clean, which means there may be access to clean Sidene? Cy- yes, Sidene. There may be access to clean Sidene, that's a mouthful, um, <laughs> within Terengaral's, like, out there that maybe were created before the corruption. Oh, mm, so there might that's... be a way for a male channeler to channel without necessarily doing it corrupted. I am hmm. not going to say that that was a part of the plot of the first book that got jettisoned for the show, but I'm also not going to say that either. <laughs> not not oh. going to say that. Very sneaky. So yeah, you you you're cluing into something that that was originally there and and didn't make it into the show as of yet. So interesting, interesting. Um, Did ever are you are you cheating and reading the books? <laughs> oh, I actually wrote them. Oh, oh okay. I didn't want to tell everybody. I guess it's out now. <laughs> um, but to address what you were saying there about, uh, you know, if using a, a liquid metaphor and anything dipped in sidene is going to get the taint, um, that's actually how very much how it's described in the books. Um, Interesting. It, it's described as sidene is like a pond of the clearest, cleanest, freshest water in the world but there is an oil slick of absolute filth and trash and sewage on top. So you and, can't and touch it without going through that layer. Exactly. There is absolutely no way to access that perfectly clean water underneath without having to go through that that slick of, of disgusting vileness to get there. Interesting. And was that, from the description, because I mean, the book's probably going to be able to go into it in words that... Uh, and, and if it has not been gone into, please don't answer this question. But 
is that kind of how they described it in the books when it got corrupted? Was there somebody that basically touched the the source and then that 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 ickiness coated the Sidene? Um the what the 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 description that I just gave you is is Rand's direct description. Okay. That is that is what Rand says he goes through when he has to access Sidene. So he can feel it. Oh, creepy. Oh, that's gross. Yeah. Oh, gosh, to know that you're like, okay, I got to access that stuff. Time to stick my hands through the gunk. Yeah. It, well, <laughs> it's not even stick your hands through the gunk. It's you have to, you know, stick your straw through the gunk and get a full straw full of gunk before oh. you can get the clean water, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So now now you're starting to see a little bit of uh, the things that are on, on Rand's shoulders at this point. Gotcha. Better shoulders than his tongue. <sighs> I'm curious if his ability to describe it almost detached from it in that way is part of him being the dragon. And so when others do it, they don't necessarily recognize that they're doing it. And his ability being so sensitive to it allows him to be more aware that it's happening. Um, I don't know that I would go that far. Um, I think that it's a fairly universal response. Um, I'm, I'm, not going to say much more with it because we'll be hitting right. spoiler territories. Gotcha. Um, I will say that uh, um, in the books, Loghain also speaks of it in very similar terms. So I, I, I get the feeling it's very much a universal kind of, of way of viewing it hmm. among male channelers. And that, that taint that we're talking about it causes the madness in, in male channelers that eventually cause them to do very horrible things as they lose track of what's good and what's wrong and, and you know, what's acceptable and what's not and what's alive and what isn't. Um, and I know there that in the last episode when we were talking about uh, Loghain, the idea was brought up, what if somebody just ignores the madness or can overcome the madness in some way. Um, that is somewhat possible. I mean, we did kind of see it with Loghain. He, he kind of ignored his madness to an extent. Um, but unfortunately, because of the taint, eventually, even if they don't kill themselves because they've gone mad, they will start to rot, like literally rot from the inside out. When there's also to be said that, you know, somebody who can necessarily not react to a poison for a longer amount of time doesn't mean they will never succumb to the poison. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Your Dread Pirate Robert example. Yeah. Um, and, and going back to where we started here, the... Something about the, the one power really reminds me of uh, Catholic dogma. Um, because in Catholic dogma, they have the, the Trinity, which is the three gods that are one God, mm -hmm. which to Catholics makes perfect sense and to not Catholics seems to not make any sense. But Well, I don't know if it, if it, if it makes perfect sense. You're just sort of, you know, uh, socialized to it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, but to me, that feels very much like the one power. It's the one power. There's one of them. Mm -hmm. It's the one power, but yeah. it's two. But right. it's one, but it's mm -hmm. five because there's five mm -hmm. different powers within it. But it's one, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and and it just uh, there's enough other 
kind of Catholic dogma that's shown up in the books, such as the White Tower as a and and the Amerlin as as the Pope and and uh, mm-hmm. the Vatican, the Vatican, yeah. yeah. Um, that I think it might be intentional. I'm not sure, but that's something that I've always seen there. Robert Jordan doing something intentional. Perish yeah, I I couldn't couldn't imagine <laughs> that happening. Yeah, I I can definitely see that. I mean, there's that. Uh, you know, calling it the one power, just like calling calling it the one true God, you know, having having those separate parts. Yeah, that that uh, sounds pretty intentional to me. Yeah. Um, and then I want to talk a little bit about the differences between Sidene and Sidar, because they, while they are two separate halves, they aren't exactly equal. For instance, how one accesses either of them. Sidar, the the female half, we've seen already one of the exercises that they use to attain it, which is to pretend that you are a river being guided between the banks and just allowing those banks to guide you, much like we saw with Egwene at the beginning of the first episode. Yeah. After she was unceremoniously shoved Actually, very ceremoniously shoved into the water. (laughs) Very ceremoniously, unceremoniously shoved into the water. (laughs) But yeah, it, it, it's it's a very calming, almost Zen-style technique. Another technique that that's brought up in the books is um, imagining that you're a, a, a bud, a rosebud, and and you feel the warm sun on your face, and you turn towards the sun and let the petals open to the sun, and that's you know one of the ways that one opens oneself to Sidar. Sidine is very much the opposite. Sidine is described as a struggle. You have to seize it and you have to force it to do what you want it to do. And letting up on that for a second means you could get washed away with it. Whereas Sidar mm-hmm. trying to force it is what's going to, to wash you away. You, you have to be in that complete calm. Yeah. So okay. they're two halves of the same whole, but they don't work the same way. Yeah. So it's tubing, to use a river metaphor, tubing versus trying to build a dam. I wonder if that's why Moraine had so much trouble with it. You know, she she told Rand, you know, I literally had to be beaten to it to access, you know, the one power properly. And that is definitely not opening yourself up to it and submitting and yielding to the one power and letting it flow over you. And it, like your description, I'm like, oh gosh, I would have had so much trouble doing that, even like, especially as a kid, because I was just a very willful, like headstrong child. And so I, I, yeah, my mom had this one book. I remember I found it when I was like 12, 13. It was like how to train your willful child or something of that. You know, apparently I was just a very rambunctious two, three year old. And yeah, I was, I was a handful. Um, it didn't work. And I, I can just imagine, you know, and if I'm in the tower and I have my professors going, be gentle, be mindful, you know, I'm like, I can't do it. And, you know, punching, punching the wall, Kyle style. Yeah, I, I think the the idea behind the trying to beat her until she submitted is 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 exactly that. She just needed to learn to stop resisting the beating and just submit to it. And, and then she would learn how to access sidar i think that's you know evil in the wrong way to go about it but i, was, I yeah, think I was that say, that's it's what, a little that, bit of look what, what you're making me there. do to you 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's exactly it, it, what it feels like. Yeah. There's, there's an element of kink to that too. So. Oh God. I mean, I thought the same thing, yeah. but wow. Which I will tell you, there's, you know, more than a little kink in the original books. It's, it's what? not, it's not in your face, but let's just say that, uh, <laughs> the fandom is pretty sure that Robert Jordan enjoyed a good spanking. Good for him. Okay. So the white tower is one of the 50 shades then. Yes. Gotcha. They, they just, they work the 50 shades down to just seven. Gotcha. Yeah. 50 shades of white cloak. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, definitely then for sure. Oh. Well, white um, tower too. I mean, something about, I don't know. <laughs> the insistence of uh, white. 50 shades of white and yes, the insistence of white. And then we're getting into a whole sociological thing. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> Okay, so to return to that discussion about the five powers, um, everything that people can channel is a combination of those five powers. So I want to know what you think various weaves that we, we saw in the show might be, what, what well, their constituent parts might be. The breaking is obviously the fire and the earth. Okay. Yeah, that's... Well, I would put forward that any of the hurling of the building parts that we saw Moraine do has to be earth and air. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, water creating the whirlpool at the uh, the ferry. Uh, what do we think about maybe Nynaeve's healing blast? That's spirit. spirit. Yeah, that's where that's where I'm getting the spirit. When you said that neither of them is very strong in the spirit, then that made me think of Nynaeve and the healing blast. Um, you know, more so than any of the other elementals. And, you know, her her ultimate strength may be the fact that she's more tied into the spiritual, uh, the spiritual end of things than anyone else is. So that's why she's, you know, brighter than the sun, but still not the dragon. So she's just so, like so being the, the a, ninja a... of the uh, of the spiritual realm kind of thing. So being a hedge witch put her closer in touch with the spiritual nature of things than being a, an ivory tower intellectual is. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at it, like using a muscle, you know, the muscle group that being a wisdom caused her to exercise. And then she gets access to the one source. She's already really heavy in that muscle. That's going to handle spirit. True. True. Which hmm. makes me wonder how, uh, how, uh, uh, Swan would be with water, seeing as how she grew up fishing. Yeah, how strong she is in, in that uh, in that element. Um, so to give you a little information, um, the healing weave that is used in the White Tower itself, um, that the Yellows use and and teach to the other members of the White Tower, contains uh, water. Um. Uh, um, air and spirit. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, three things. That makes three things sense. useful to the body. Yeah, mm-hmm. we are made up of how much water we need air to survive, and um, and then I can tell you that in the age of legends, the greatest things that were accomplished were accomplished with both men and women channeling together, and usually channeling all five powers together. Okay. Um, and, and the way things work is the more complicated the weave, the 
more complicated the outcome, as it were. So it's not just, oh, I put, you know, a dash of air, a sprinkle of water, and then two cups of earth, and, and I get, a, you know, something that blows up the earth. It's, you have to actually weave that. I mean, the, the weaving metaphors go through this entire world. I was going to say, is, that a, is there a weaving cookbook out there somewhere? Yeah. This many parts <laughs> this, this many parts that weave together and serve. So that brings up an interesting question. Uh, going back to, you know, the Age of Legends, mm -hmm. uh, Minethrin, uh How was that built? You know, it's an inaccessible region. Was it, did, did the builders have anything to do with it? Did the, you know, the, the Ogier have anything to do with it? Or was that um, totally well, done we do know, by the We source? do know there was an Ogier Waygate at Minethrin. Okay. So that would indicate that the Ogier were there to help them build. Okay. But the, the, with the inaccessibility, uh, I wonder if using all of those elements to help build the city, yeah. uh, you know, that was a, that was, that was a group effort. I'm not going to say that there are buildings in this universe that were clearly built using the power, but I'm also not, not going to say that. Noted. Um, I'm especially not not going to say that we might see one in season two. And if not, then definitely in season three. That we're not going to see. Or not not going to see. I, I don't even know what the hell I'm saying anymore. Neither I'm, I'm do confused I. myself. Yeah. Yes. And us too. You, it's all right. You have you have double negative yourself into a triple and quadruple negative that is, yeah, confusing <laughs> everyone. Yeah. Well, that's the point. If you're all confused if I'm confused, then everybody else is confused and I'm off the hook. That's a good way to do it. So it's a magic trick. Yeah. <laughs> it's misdirection. Misdirection. So we know that there are people who can use the one power. What happens when those people can no longer use the one power? And how does that come to be? Well, with, with the males, there's the gentling or the um, basically yanking them, out of the, yanking them out of the source. Yeah, I was about to uh, say, I, I would call it that... Everybody out of the pool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, gentling. Yeah, yeah, gentling is a is a misnomer. I think the, nothing right, about yeah. that seemed particularly gentle. No, 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 no. It's a yanking. I I actually the way I took it was not about the that the the process was gentle. It was that it made a dangerous thing gentle. Which yeah, that is that's that's the, how the I took the, of the word. They is, were is make being them gentle. gentle. They're like, yeah. no, you're now something we don't have to worry about. Being broken like wild horses. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's a lobotomy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. But it, but yeah, I mean, the effect of that is, you know, they just like, what's the point? Why why even try to go on? You've been to the mountaintop. You know, it's there. There's nowhere else to go. You know, yeah. screw it. Once you've tasted the source of all life, living without it is kind of great. I, I guess. I, the, the previous conversation kind of being stuck in my head. You also no longer have that taste in your mouth. That's true. From that icky <laughs> stuff that's covering all of it. Like, hey, hey, but you might have learned to like it. And that may be part uh... of the, part of the, uh, you know, that, that, uh, that corruption. Yeah. So we've seen that, that uh, we can, people can be, 
can lose the ability to channel by having it taken away by other channelers. But there's other ways for them to lose the ability to channel, which, namely by channeling too much, burning themselves out. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to it's hard to channel when you are uh, a heap of ash. Yeah, um, and and I would say that in the books, burning oneself out does not necessarily turn one into a heap of ash. That's what I was um, going to ask: is can you we, can you burn yourself out and survive? Yes, you absolutely can burn yourself out and survive. As a matter of fact, I would say most people who burn themselves out burn themselves out and survive. Uh, turning oneself into ash. Um, the the only other example that we have of that in the books is um, Eldraine. The, the queen of Minethrin, mm-hmm. when she d- drew in enough to destroy all the shadow spawn around her, it clearly was enough to just, you know, vaporize her almost immediately. Um, we have Luz Theron Telamon, the original dragon, when he created Dragon Mount, you know, pulled in so much that it, it vaporized him and, and all the rock down to the core of the planet, pretty much. Um, you know, th- those are extreme situations. You, you saw... Um, in Faldara, pulling through Nynaeve caused, you know, some burnout in some lower level channelers, but that's because that was way more than they have ever tried to channel before. Most of the time when, when somebody pulls in enough to burn them out, it's, they kind of go over the edge and it fizzles out and then they can no longer touch the power. And there is a difference between burning out and getting gentled or stilled. Right. Um, if one gets gentled or stilled, it's like that connection is severed. You can still sense the source, but you can no longer reach out and touch it. If you burn out, you can no longer even sense the source. So um, is what happened to Moraine at the end of the season, is that a case of burnout or? That's a case of something else. Okay. In, uh, this is just my opinion. Um, there's another way to cut somebody off from the source and that's called shielding, which we saw being done to Loghain when we first saw him. Mm-hmm. They created a barrier around him that he could not reach through in order to access the source. But the difference between gentling and shielding seems to be one is active and the other is kind of more permanent applied yeah. and you don't have to keep doing it. Yeah, gentling is is permanent. Uh, yeah. Shielding is just... For as long as the shield is in place. Yeah, shielding is prison, you and, know, compared and, to execution, which would yeah. be gentle. And, and shielding, it, it's not perfect. Um, you can break through a shield. If a very, you know, if a very not powerful channeler somehow got a shield on a very powerful channeler, it doesn't take much for that powerful channeler to just kind of flex and break through that shield. Um, gotcha, but I guess that's the thing. Or is, pissed off warder. Yeah. Are we seeing Moraine still under the influence of the Dark One casting that when we saw kind of how Rand dealt with the Dark One? Or was something more permanent put on, uh, not permanent, but like even semi-permanent put on her that doesn't need a continued effort like the shielding that we saw put on Loghain? So you just led me into another thing about the One Power that is interesting. Most weaves have to be maintained. You have to constantly channel into them in order for that weave to remain. But you can tie a weave off. 
think of it like inflating a balloon and then kind of tying it off and then you can leave that weave to exist mm-hmm. and that we were rug it, it will eventually yeah. dissipate in the same way that a balloon left in a room for a long time will slowly and slowly exactly. leak through the permeable barrier exactly and and you know it, it depends on the strength of the, the of the channeler and and whatnot as to how long it will take before dissipating but yeah. So you're saying your opinion, your theory that you were describing a moment ago is that a weave has been tied off on Moraine. Correct. Interesting. Okay. Yes, I, I believe that she was, that a block was put in place and then tied off. But yeah, I mean, the cloth metaphor also works. You know, you've got, you know, fine silk that was woven by masters hundreds and hundreds of years ago that's still holding up. And then you've got, you know, stuff that was made in a factory somewhere that's just fallen apart after like two washes. So, you know, the quality and the strength of the weave itself and the skill of the weaver does, uh, does take into account its durability. Hi, I'm Dr. Pengalod. What seems to be ailing you today? Doc, it's the strangest thing. Every night after I've gone to bed, just as I start to drift off, I start yelling out strange words like Shire, Frodo, and Gollum. Last night I even yelled Mordor. I really don't know what to do. Ah, yes. I've been seeing this a lot lately. What you're experiencing is called Tolkien in your sleep. It's caused by an acute Lord of the Rings deficiency. Tolkien in my sleep? Oh no, that sounds serious. Don't worry, don't worry. It's really common right now. It can be treated with a very simple prescription. Here, take this. It's called Watch Party Lord of the Rings. Watch Party Lord of the Rings? It's a great podcast where they talk about everything related to Lord of the Rings. They go deep into the lore, talk about the film trilogy, old cartoon adaptations, and Amazon's Lord of the Rings series. Listen to it once a week, and you'll stop Tolkien in your sleep in no time. Side effects of Watch Party Lord of the Rings may include happiness, giggling, merrymaking, jollification, witty banter, inner peace, enlightenment, and excessive Tolkien while awake. Caution, Watch Party Lord of the Rings may be addictive. So I want to get into something that's going to, I think, break open a lot of, of new ideas with you guys. Um, let's go. Let's Do get it. into it. Who can channel? Hmm. People who are sensitive to it. Okay. What kind of people are sensitive to it? I don't know. Is it genetic? How does it how does it show up in people? Midichlorians. No. <laughs> wrong wrong franchise. I can tell you if it turned out to me midichlorians, I would not love this world as much as I do. Um, so it'd be much better for you if an owl just showed up when they turn about eleven with a letter. Oh boy. Yeah. No. <laughs> or they just do it as a kid eventually. Um well, I mean, in Avatar, it's not, it's partially genetic, but it's What's... not based on gender, race, nationality, where you grow up, what you like eat. <laughs> it's so. Yeah. It... It's kind of like a mutant gene that would show up. But like Avatar, using that as a, as a as example to draw from, we are dealing with people who do talk a lot about reincarnation. And that is one of the aspects in Avatar is sometimes the more powerful channelers are previously powerful channelers who have been reincarnated and mm. that's why they can be anywhere because that person you know was born to this family that nobody in it channels but they're the spirit of a major channeler from another family and they've reincarnated 
So if the wheel is constantly bringing people back around, then some of the more powerful channels from previous ages would be randomly showing up within the the thread work now. Hence your dragon reborn. Exactly. So we know that it's it, it can show up in people. It does not based on gender. But we also know that there are different ways it might manifest that doesn't mean you can use it, such as giving you visions. And so I, I do think that is the one power. I just don't think okay. just because you, you can wield it as a weapon or he, or you know a tool for healing or what have you doesn't mean that's not what it is. Okay, so men is, for example, would be able to touch the source, according I to you. I think so. I think that's yeah. how it's kind of showing up in her. So that is not necessarily how it works in the books. I do actually agree with you. I think that people with those talents are accessing the power in a way, but I don't think that they can channel. Um, but that is, but even that theory that they are somehow accessing the power is is just a theory for anybody who's read the books. So right. you you arrived at the same place I did, but neither of us can be proven correct, I think. Okay, I'll accept that. Because that also yeah. means I can't be proven wrong. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Which is the important part. <laughs> yeah. But it seems like, you know, if the power is able to weave, to actually affect the weave, it seems more like what Min's doing is just observing the weave. So she's mm -hmm. got like a perspective that's sort of removed and is able to see things from, you know, from a, from a different view. Which has kind of always been my theory on on men's power as well. It's she's yeah. she's kind of got a, an eagle-eyes view of the pattern from above, as it were. Right. Yeah. And that may not be of the source or from the source, but it could be of the source. The people who can channel, it, it is an inborn ability. Could be genetic. It could be spiritual, like you were saying, with, with the reincarnation, uh, pa reincarnation past lives. Um, all of that has been theorized but the one thing we do know is it manifests differently in two different ways uh, one is people like Nynaeve who it doesn't matter they're going to channel at some point regardless Nynaeve never had an option to not channel it was going to happen there are also people who can learn they have the ability inborn but it's not going to spark on its own I um wonder if it's the difference between two A students but you know one person can easily quickly grasp the concepts, um, can essentially coast their way to it on, you know, just natural brilliance versus the person who works their ass off for that A and, you know, might need to, you know, put in a lot more study hours, you know, take the extra credit um, in order to get that, you know, 3.8, 4.0 GPA. And I, get, I wonder what the consequences of that are, because in college, you know, those kind of things blow wide open. Um, and, you know, a lot of the times the coaster suddenly they they run into something that they can't, you know, ease their way into. Like they have a much harder time coping with that versus the person who is, you know, used to having to, you know, I guess maybe not necessarily struggle, but put in a lot of effort you know, suddenly finds, you know, college pretty simple because it's more of the same. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, the psychological effects of, of that. 
which I can testify in real time, but it's not about me. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, there's a lot of that. And one of the things that you had mentioned that went with that is anxiety, anxiety on the case of the, on the, the, the part of the person who is gifted that has that natural ability. And then they've run into something that they can't do all of a sudden. And the anxiety just shoots through the roof. Yeah. You know, it's the, it, the, they call it like the gifted child syndrome and it's, it is true. It is real. It is. Yeah. Well, and, I've, you yeah. know, currently looking at a lot of the raising children books with a three-year-old. Um, one of the things they talk a lot about is reward the effort, not the result. Mm-hmm. Because you do get that person who, if it's been easy for them all along, when they, as Greg was saying, they run into that thing that's finally got a challenge to it, and now I don't want to. I've I, I've never had to put energy in before. Why do I have to put energy in now? Welcome to my parenting life. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to my actual life. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, these are what? great. Trauma thoughts. is generational. Um, really? So yeah, these are all great thoughts. Um, there is a little bit more to it. Um, first of all, those people who are going to channel whether they want to or not, once they do end up channeling and usually not having an idea what they've just done, a clock kind of starts ticking and most of them are going to die within a few years unless they receive training. Hmm. Interesting. So is it um, kind of like the, the barrier has been, you know, when you've got something that's full of water to can keep with our liquid theme, yeah. you've got something full of water and you touch the surface of it, which can sometimes allow water to transfer that transfer through that surface. It starts weakening that surface as well. Mm-hmm. And eventually mm-hmm. a hole can break there or something along those lines. So, yeah. Um, of those that, that spark is going to happen in, um, when it does happen, if they don't receive training, four out of five will die in the next few years. And that fifth while surviving will usually have some kind of severe mental block in place that prevents them from channeling unless the conditions of the block are met. So you may have somebody who has one ability that they can do because they figured out that one. But yeah, that it. one ability they can do, or they can only do it under times of extreme stress, or only when a certain person is present in the room, things like that. Hmm. So, what does this information mean? This information means Aes Sedai are out there trying to find women who can channel. So, these women who are going to channel regardless, those are the ones that they're going to be finding the most, I think. Um, the ones who can learn, they can be found, but it, it involves a lot of testing. Yeah. So it's not something you, you're, you meet another person who can touch the source and there's not like some instant recognition of each other. Um, yes, I'll go ahead and say that, uh, um, between women anyway, um, they can sense the ability to channel within each other, but only once they've started channeling. Mm. So somebody who could learn because they've never touched it before, that that sense isn't there. So you cannot sense that they're a channeler until they start learning. Hmm. So knowing that uh, one example of someone that we've that we've seen who cannot fully, you know, doesn't have a, a 
doesn't seem to have a natural ability to channel, but had it sort of taught and, you know, learned into her, mm-hmm. so to speak, would be the, uh, oh, why am I blanking on her name? Uh, the city outside the the waste that uh, they were defending. Uh, oh, Faldara? Faldara, yes. The, the, the sister of the... Oh, of the, um, Amalisa. Yes. Um, she could channel. She learned, she seems like she learned how to channel. Um, she learned that because she went to the White Tower. She went to the White Tower because she was a noble, uh, you know, noble rich family. Um, but that, that makes me wonder about Moraine. Knowing that she was from a noble family, did she go to the White Tower just as like the finishing school and then sort of, you know, found and her And then calling. they discovered, oh, hey. Yeah. You know, how much of that was natural and how much of it was just sort of brought out from, from being there. Yeah. Interesting thoughts all around. Um, another thing that I'll put in there is um, the number of people who can learn um, it, it's ju- it's simply stated that it is greater or far greater than the number who will spark on their own. I mean, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I actually did some math to figure out, this is going to be fun, how many channelers we can figure out in, in a selected group of people. According to knowledge that we have from the books, um, the percentage of channelers in the third age is approximately 1% of the population, probably a little bit less. And we know that the number who can learn outnumber the number with the spark. So just for a basic number, I'll say they outnumber them two to one. I think it's probably a lot more than that, but I'll just say two to one because that's a good start for outnumbering. If you want to make math fun, make it easy. Exactly. (laughs) So... Out of a million people, which I would say Tarvalon, maybe maybe Tarvalon and surrounding areas might be a million people. So, you know, trying to, trying to get an idea of how many people we're looking at here. You're going to have about 10,000 of them channelers. And at least two-thirds of those 10,000 are going to be learners that might not ever find out. That's, where, that's what we're looking at for our... our population of channelers in this world so they're they're rare they're not super rare that that nobody ever sees one but they're rare enough that they don't show up everywhere okay okay so okay so how do these people these people the Aes Sedai go around finding the ones who can touch but not spark that how I want to put it? It's how I'm going to put it today. Yeah. Um, yeah. The ones like, who can learn but not spark. Um, right. Um, well, like it was said, of a lot of people in higher noble houses kind of tend to go to the White Tower for finishing, or they many um, kings and queens and, and high, high noble houses might have an Aes Sedai advisor. And so that Aes Sedai is going to be, you know, going through the house and just kind of figuring out who who might be able to channel and who might who who might be able to learn who's sparking get that information um as far as like people out in in the sticks um if somebody sparks most people around are going to know it and word's going to spread and the Aes Sedai are going to show up um if 
that doesn't happen, a lot of those people who could learn probably will never find out. Um, I would assume that there were probably Aes Sedai campaigns where they would, you know, go down to town and just kind of test people, but I don't think that that is a, a large portion of what any Aes Sedai does or wants to do, and they probably kind of, you know, don't do it nearly as often as they should. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that would be sort of the one of the one of the jobs of the blues. I would think to, you know, keep an ear out for hey, I heard this, you know, this girl in this little town can spark, so you know, goes she goes to check yeah. it out. So that that's probably an aspect of it. You know, I don't think there's a there's like a recruiting uh you know yeah. uh branch. I don't know which color that would be. Maybe that's the black. Um, the black Aja, but yeah, you know, thinking of how in, in military, you've got a, a branch that's totally just devoted to recruiting. Uh, I would think that, you know, having, having that as a, as a job of the blues to, you know, not only find the diamonds in the rough, but also, you know, investigate the the occurrences to see if there is something there. I'm sure that's got got to be part of the job. I mean, that's what that's what brought Moraine to uh, to the Two Rivers. So, but she was also the first Aes Sedai the Two Rivers had seen in generations. True, true, and she had been sent there on a particular mission. But yeah, I wonder if it's a resource thing. Like you can't spare the resources, so unless you know, one of the regulars just decides to start, you know, touching the source and start weaving. There's not really going to be, you know, a reason to send scouters, scouters, scouts, scouts yeah. out into, <laughs> out into the world. Um, Cause I, I don't think they've recovered in numbers and, you know, I think they're still rebuilding even in the relative stability, the tower. And so yeah. if, you know, they're just simply, they don't have the numbers, you know, or the firepower. And, and, and you have to think about it out of every hundred people they test, they have a possibility of finding one. Right. Yeah. That that's not a great recruitment drive. You could be out there all day and maybe find two if you're lucky. So I, I can see why they might not spend their time with that, especially like you were saying with, with, not that many resources out there. This episode is brought to you by Four Cats Boutique on Etsy. That's the number four and cats with a K. Katie and Jordan have some lovely art they would love for you all to check out. They have custom bookmarks, prints, and even these beautiful book page posters that have passages from some of our favorite fantasy series like Lord of the Rings, A Song of Ice and Fire, and, of course, The Wheel of Time. You all really should check out Four Cats Boutique on Etsy and get yourself some bookmarks and amazing artwork. That's the number four and cats with a K. Four Cats Boutique on Etsy. So we have three types of objects that work with the one power in one way or another. And we've talked about these before. Angrial, Sa-Angrial, and Ter-Angrial. Angrial and Sa-Angrial are very similar. They just increase the amount of power that the the person using it can safely channel at once. Um, 
I think of them as just like a force multiplier. Mm-hmm. Um, so an Angreal would be like a times five or times 10 multiplier. You know, you can wield five or 10 times as much power as you would normally. And then a saw Angreal would be, you know, an order of magnitude above that, you know, 100 or 500 times. Yeah. So pulleys and gear ratios. Kind yeah. Of yeah. Very yeah. much so. Um, and, uh, then the last kind that we have is Turangriol, which are just magical objects that do something. And they can do something either by channeling into it or by pressing a button on it, or just by it being in the right place, you know, where it's supposed to be, it will do the thing it's supposed to do kind of thing. Okay. Um, So like a, you know, universal remote control kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> gears pulley you know gear ratios pulleys pulley assemblies and universal remote controls that is quite the analogy yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and something about Angrial is the making of them was lost in the age of legends um after the breaking we no longer remembered how to make any kind of Angrial. so any Angrial, saw Angrial, or tur Angrial that exist are leftovers from the age of legends so as you can expect, they're going to be exceedingly rare. So with that with that scarcity and that rarity, uh, I wonder how many the uh, the White Tower has collected over the years. Um, the White Tower is assumed to have the largest collection. Um, other areas do have their own collections. Um, the Stone of Tear, for for one, is supposed to have one of the largest collections of power objects in the world. Um, Tyr is also a country that outlaws channeling, so that's part of why they collect those objects, is mm. to keep them out of the hands of channelers. Okay. Um, and I would say that that the vast majority of Turangriol that have been found, the uses are not known for. Well, that's scary. Mostly because the, the Aes Sedai who, who would curious and try to figure out what the Turangriol did, many of them would end up burning themselves out or dying or disappearing in a flash of light or getting cut in half or who knows, because they don't know what the thing that they're trying to figure out does, does until it does it. So is that happening because of, uh, is there some sort of booby trap or something that is as a defensive mechanism for the, for the Angriol? No, no, it, or it's a case it just... of if you hand a caveman a flamethrower they're not going to know what the hell it does. And then they push the button while they're looking right down the barrel and. Yeah. Poof. Yeah. It, 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 that's exactly what's going on here. You know, gotcha. they, they pick up the item and they have no idea what its use is. And the only way to find out what its use is, is to maybe channel into it. So let's try channeling into it. But if you channel the wrong thing into it, maybe it breaks it or makes a bad thing happen or, you know, so a lot of Turangrial just, we do not know what they do. A future Angreal that we do know what they do. Um, the the main one that we saw in the show is the oath rod, which binds the oath spoken while holding the oath rod to that person. And I can tell you that the oath, oath rod requires spirit to be channeled into it to work. Another Turangreal I don't think would be a big deal to tell you about is uh, in the basement of the White Tower. They have a Turangreal that creates what's known as fan cloth. Um. In the books, all of the warders have a cape or a cloak made out of fan cloth, which is essentially an invisibility cloak. 
Um, they left it out of the show because obviously that would require a lot of special effects and budget in order to make it happen. So, you know, I, I think they left it out of the show rightly yeah. in, to, to use their money wisely elsewhere. But and Harry Potter kind of brought it to the screen first. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that that's another example of a Turangrial that we do know the use for. It creates invisibility cloak cloth. Um, and I can tell you the test for accepted and the test for raising to the full shawl of Aes Sedai also both involve Turangrial. I won't say anything more than that. So how how does that even work out if they don't know how to make them anymore and what most of them are for? How, how does it work out in what way? In, in that they found... In the testing. Yeah, that they found the uses for Well, for that's the things. question. Are the uses they're using them for the original uses they were intended for? Or if they just found uses mm. for them? Let's go back to our, our caveman and flamethrower mm. analogy. The caveman somehow survives playing with the flamethrower, and now he just uses it to light his campfire because, you know, it's a lot easier to light it that way than to use a flint. That's that's not the original use of the flamethrower, but it sure seems like it to the, to the caveman. Use. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I made flesh to the Little Mermaid and the Dinglehopper. <laughs> yeah, very no, much so. Much yeah, many, many Turangrial <laughs> are very much Dinglehoppers. The only thoughts that I'm having on the these items are, are that... I, there's so much I can't wait to find out about them. Like, I don't have thoughts on them now. It's that I'm excited to learn the different uses. And clearly, by introducing only one in the first season, you know, a couple, because we also saw the, the picture on the wall yeah, um, yeah. in Moraine's place. Um, but, like, only only seeing a couple and dabbling them through, even with them being very rare, I have a feeling they're going to show up in places and we're going to be like, oh, that necklace, that necklace is totally something. Like, we're going to have those moments. Yeah. And uh, it kind of justifies something for me that has been... <sighs> One of my frustrations in role-playing games is often when when games can be a little stingy on the fun, magically stuff that you can use and all the magic items. Well, oh, you know, but they're rare. That's great. That's great. That's not why I'm playing a game. I'm yeah. playing a game because I want to have these things that are rare and do ultimate godly things with them. Um, so I have a feeling they're going to show up more. Clearly, we're not only going to get the ones we've seen so far, but they've left them so varied and potentially varied yeah. that I'm really curious to see how they present themselves and, and how we see them. I think it's going to be an interesting story story point going forward. I mean, let, let's go ahead and just look at them at, as what they are, which is high technology from a, a previous civilization that, that we just can't even comprehend. You know, it's, it's, these are more or less pieces of high technology left over from the Age of Legends. You know, it's technology that uses the power, but going back to our caveman analogy, it's, you know, a caveman walks into the ruins of New York. Well, there's going to be some pretty cool stuff in there for them, even they have no idea what it was actually used for. Yeah, totally valid. So uh, a little bit more on the Angrial. Um, Tur-Angrial are by far the most common. Um, they're just, you know, because they are things that just do stuff. So they were just household items in many cases. Um, these Angrial themselves that just give you maybe a, a times five multiplier are are the second most common. And then the Sa-Angrial, which, which give you the hundred times multiplier, as it were, 
are are very very rare indeed um like handful in the world rare can a person be an angriol i don't believe so if a person was an angriol they would have to have survived from the age of legends or could that be part of the personality that gets passed down through each turning of the mm -hmm. wheel you know, you've got the ability to touch the source coming through like that, uh, possibly. Is it just an object that can be... So are you saying if you're a channeler, maybe in your next life you might get spun out as a magic dinner fork? I believe the correct term is dinglehopper. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but like, is it only just objects or can spirits be imbued uh, with this no th this these magic. are definitely just objects okay um I, I, i've not heard yet of a a purely spiritual angriol okay so you claim so i claim what would an animate object even be able to survive being one is the question i have that i don't like the implication <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, that could explain, you know, something like the dragon or, you know, like basically having that built-in force multiplier as an aspect of the, the, the person that comes around every, you know, couple ages or so. Um, so one thing in the books, uh, I don't know if they're doing this in the show, uh, but we talked about it before, is using an, an angriol or a, a sangriol and using that that force multiplier, there's a built-in safeguard where you cannot burn yourself out. You cannot draw more than you would be able to deal with. Okay, so that means Nynaeve is not one. Yes. Um, and I, I was bringing that up because that similar safeguard was built into linking, uh, which is another thing that we need to cover. Um, and obviously that safeguard was removed for the show, which in, in the previous episode that we mentioned that I said, I completely understand that because it's a way to, to create more drama and, you know, more drama means more show. But there's also an aspect that could be done and still would be satisfying your memory of the books, as well as a new aspect of the thing, which is any type of safety protocol can also be broken. That's true. There could be a standard linking safety protocol, except don't link with Nynaeve. Like, yeah. like that could be... <laughs> the override code. Exactly. They, yeah. There might be cheat it, codes. There might be, you know, up, up, down, down, left, right, it, left, it, right, it, start, it's, A. It's okay to bring in as many 120-volt lines as you want, but once you bring in a 220, you're screwed. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, so and, and that can also lend itself if if you throw that kind of storyline in, that can lend itself even to the Angriels, uh, where the safety in that can also be broken, or it can be corrupted, or it can be like, and that's what, when I was talking earlier with the idea of, um, you know, the, can an object carry that taint to a point where now using it, if somebody, like, but again, that that kind of got thrown out with the idea that. A uh, female uh, source person, you know, an Aes Sedai can't use a male uh, item because the magic in it is the um, uh, the male aspect of it. So she can't, by using the item, get the... But now, would that be true of the 
uh, items that they themselves are magic, is it possible that if it was designed or built by somebody who had, you know, the male side of it, can a female use it? The portrait on the wall in, in Moraine's, uh, you know, quarters is was that specifically designed by a female uh, source user? So or... I, I hear the I hear the question you're asking, okay. and I can say that most, if most, Tarangrial are are gender neutral. Um, there okay. are some some Tarangrial that don't even require a channeler. Gotcha. Um, as far as Angrial and Saw Angrial to increase the force of the power, um, those are gender specific. But a Tarangrial that was created with some of the taint of the male side of things, will that possibly have a negative impact on an Aes Sedai using it? That's where I, it's a potential um, thing. I, I, I would say, yeah. I would say, yeah, because uh, once again, we're going back to um, the the Ogier and the ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the keys. That, that, that Tur that Turangrial that they had to grow the ways was given to them by male channelers at the end of the Age of Legends. But I guess where I'm going there is the yeah. thing they created with it got tainted. That doesn't yeah. mean that the Ogier did. And that's no. what I'm talking about. Can some of the madness rub off on an Aes Sedai who's I, using a Turangrial I, that was created with Sedain? I don't think so. Okay. That's a question that was never quite asked, but I think because the Aes Sedai would never actually be directly in contact with Sidene, the Aes Sedai themselves would not be. Okay, because the Turangrial is what is directly. But but whatever the Turangrial is supposed to do, the output would be affected. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Uh, we'll we'll quote you on it when we find That's out nice. otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> well, when we find out otherwise, we'll know that they're wrong. But uh, to continue on the on the subject of linking, um, there are some interesting rules that come about with linking. Um, first of all, women must initiate links. If if it's a multi gender multi gender link, the men cannot initiate the link. Huh. Um, okay. Women can link with up to 13, a, a circle of up to 13, without a man involved. Uh, you have to add a man if you want to add more women. The largest circle you can get is 72, which would be six men and 66 women. So each man added adds another potential 13? Uh, some, another potential 26, I believe. Because you have to have one man after 13 to get another 13. Yes. So one man, 26 women. But that is that is the extreme end. You okay. can have a mixture of up to half and half, but there always has to be one more woman than men. Interesting. And the woman has to start it. Yes. And the the way that linking works is it links all of their power together but the sum of that power is not equal to the sum of all of them channeling individually. So by linking, you're never going to get stronger than you could with everybody individually. What it does give you is more control. And potentially more aspects of the five elements because you're getting more people who are stronger in each one of them, which increases the overall pool strength. Right. 
And there, there are some weaves that might require multiple people channeling in the weave. And if you're not linked, trying to channel those two together is going to be almost impossible because you have no frame of reference. But when you are linked, one person is actually in charge of the entire weaving. But they still have the ability to weave as many weaves as people that they have there. You may have answered so, this question back when we were talking about the elements and, and that people can channel multiple. Um, can a person on their own do a weave that involves all five? Or do they, like, yes. a person can max out at three. So one person can do all five yes, in the same absolutely. weave. In the same weave. Interesting. Okay. So, yeah, that, it gives you, it, the linking gives just gives one more control over larger possible weaves with more possible threads in them. So as far as channeling power levels go, um, as, par as far as pure strength goes, as a general rule, men are going to be stronger than women. Like on average. That's not a hard and fast rule. There are obviously women, you know, strong women are going to be stronger than weak men, and there's going to be a strong woman, possibly as strong as the strongest man out there, but there's going to be fewer women with that kind of strength than men. But gotcha. at the same time, women have more fine control. Women can do more individual threads simultaneously than men. Which okay. is why one might want to link women and men together in a circle in the Age of Legends, because then you have the power and the control. That makes sense. And with a woman being in charge of the link and initiating the link, the control is there before you add the power, which is always a wiser thing yeah. than starting with power and then trying to control it. Yeah, it's like the, it's like the one power's choosing. If they had to choose one, they choose the control. If you had to pick. So it evens out one way or another. Yeah. It never quite evens out because, like I said, you always have to have one more women than men in the circle but yeah i'm wondering if that kind of thing you, you know men get you know the strength and women get the control is partially why there was the clash that we saw between the tamerlan seat and the original dragon where you know he's like yeah we just need some buddies and we can defeat the dark one. And she's like, no, stop. You know, the me and all the other women are trying to caution you against this. This is not a good idea. Um, like it feels a bit essentialist to say, I don't quite like it, but I wonder if, because, you know, biologically for lack of a better word to use, because, you know, women channelers, have more fine control if that you know that's socialized into thinking along the same lines and so because you're taught because you don't you know you naturally have you know a finer handle on the source a finer handle on the power if you know you're taught how you're taught and how you're educated if that translates into you know, psychologically, that's how you're approaching it. I guess is, that's just the best way that you can. And, you know, that 
in turn cause or at least helped along, you know, that tension. And so when the men failed, caused the breaking, it was like, oh, gosh, I told you so. <laughs> that kind of thing. Damn it. If you just listened to me that once. Kind of thing. You and your buddies go out and you start breaking shit all over the place. No, oh, those are those are great thoughts. Um, let's see. One last area that that I still have notes on is uh, talents, which is people who who can channel um, sometimes will have talents. Uh, we've seen the foretelling, which can come over some Aes Sedai, as uh, that's how Moraine was able to find out about the dragon being reborn in the first place was. Guitar Amoroso having that foretelling in front of her. Um, that's one form of talent that, that channelers can have. Um, but it, there can be a lot of different talents that show up. Um, a lot of them tend to be if you are a, a person who, who was a sparker and was going to learn regardless, whatever that first thing that you did when you channeled tends to become something you are really good at like really, really good at to the point that people call it a talent. It, it can often be something that nobody else can do because it's something that you created out of necessity. Um, but it, it's considered a talent in many cases. Um, other talents would be somebody of low power, generally a low power person like Amelisa maybe, who... For some reason, there's some very, very, very high-powered weave that she can just do easily. That even high-powered pe people with enough power to do that weave have a hard time doing. But, you know, a low-powered person might be able to just be like, oh, okay, bam, and it's done. And everybody else is like, you don't even have enough power to do that, much less the control. How did that happen? And it's, it's a talent. They just have that talent for that one specific weave. So, yeah, there, there are talents that show up in in weavers but they aren't all, always useful and and they aren't always noticeable yeah we've, we've we've seen that we've seen that with Egwene being able to you know create fire or uh you know Nani able to heal people or you know parent turning into a wolf yeah. who knows uh <laughs> so actually something you just said there makes me want to revisit right towards the beginning of this conversation. Um, remember what I said about uh, the five powers and, and how they are not equally divided amongst men and women? Mm -hmm. And then what you just said about Egwene. Mm -hmm. Fire. Yeah. She's got a little bit of the male aspect there. I wouldn't say necessarily the male aspect. It's just... Just one of those powers that's one, Yeah, more, one of those powers that more commonly shows up elements. Men, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's got to show up somewhere. Like, even... Okay, so I'm thinking it can go one of two ways. They're, because the, the male side of the source has been corrupted, that just means there's a far smaller percentage of earth and fire out there in the world. Or... If things even out one way or another, balance out one way or another, earth and, you know, earth and fire are showing up somewhere. Like the percentages are going to stay the same. 
but now you know more women have you know have an inclination toward fire and earth than normally would before the breaking when if looking at it from what i was describing earlier of uh whether the person is more easy to use or is better at using water because they're female if the uh if if water is somehow more uh connected to the female side of things then is there an increase of things pushing forward that aren't getting used that are like so if we talk about the uh, the uh awakening of somebody who can you know touch the source is some of that the like well nobody's using fire fire's getting a little uh bubbly fire's going to okay fire found somebody to use it and is Egwene getting kind of uh, some, sorry, not Egwene, uh, Nynaeve getting access to some of that? So I think you guys are asking that without the, without males present for the most part, that some kind of parthenogenesis is occurring and and the strengths that used to be not as strong in women are starting to become stronger in women. Is that kind of where this is going? To an extent, yeah. I think. Okay. Yes. I have a different take. Okay, let's hear it. Uh, well, if there is a chance that these abilities are passed on through the turnings of the wheel, could uh, one of one of Egwene's previous lives, possibly in the Age of Legends, as to be untainted, uh, you know, could she have been a, a, a male source user at some point? And that ability is just sort of stuck with, you know, her her weave and her spirit. Some kind of a spiritual muscle memory of remembering using earth and fire a lot. So it's kind of just translating through to her current form. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I, yeah, in the Wheel of Time uh, mythos, there's no... There's nothing that says that somebody who was a male the last time around has to be a male this time around, right? Correct. Males get reincarnated as females. Females get reincarnated as males. There's 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 fluidity to that. Correct. I don't know that that's ever been explicitly stated outright or denied outright in the books. I but, but, but I feel like in the show they are saying that because we know for a fact that the previous dragon was male, and yet mm -hmm. they were not certain if the current dragon would be male or female. Valid point. Valid point. And yeah, this is a. a Deep, long subject that we could expand upon forever, but I think we're uh, we're gonna call this one an episode at this point. Uh, but we do have mailbag to get to still, so mailbag. mailbag. And uh, today's mailbag, um, I, I was I had actually already put in my my show notes that I wanted to do a shout out to to our listener Jason, who's written into us before. Um, because Jason's been he he he's been in the hospital. Um, there there was a cancer scare. He's been oh, wow. he's been dealing with some mm -hmm. stuff, um, but but it looks like he's free and clear now. Oh and, good! And hey, I wanted to give hey, a shout out to Jason. Congratulations! We love you. We're we're happy to to that you're on the mend on this. Um, but the thing is, while I was writing that into my show notes, I Jason actually started texting with me. So. <laughs> Um, he texted me and said he was going to write in a mailbag, and then uh, from his 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 uh, hospital bed, I might add, and uh, then said, "You know, uh, can you just use my text because I'm I'm kind of tired and don't want to write all this again." <laughs> so, 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely, understood. Jason. Understood. No, no worries. No worries at all. I'm, I'm just glad that uh, you're writing in. And, Text and, bag. An interesting note on Jason. I want to take this aside for a second because I was also thinking of this the other day. Uh, Jason is back when we first started the episode. I mentioned somebody who had listened to our first several episodes while decorating their their Christmas tree mm-hmm. with their husband. And that was Jason. Oh, okay. And Jason then later wrote into us and, and talked to us, and then we had a great, great Long time discussion there. But then a little while later, I, I got to be friends with Jason online. A little while later, uh, Jason and who I said was his husband got married. Ah. So I, I, I misspoke <laughs> and, and said his boyfriend was his husband, but as we like to say on this show, if we say it, it comes into being. So I'm going to take credit for uh, for Jason. Also, I mean, wedding. it was just that um, was this turning of the wheel, like because clearly they yeah. had gotten married before. It was right. just you were referring to the previous age. Yeah, yeah, clear, clearly yes. that's yeah. clearly. Um, so I just wanted to to take a quick credit there for for Jason's marriage. Um, Yay, man! About time, Jason. <laughs> Took long enough. Um. But yeah, Jason, Jason Jason and I were talking and he he was while he's been recovering, he's been listening to to several of our episodes and catching up. And he was saying that our our episodes on uh on inclusion and mental health and you know some of the some of the tougher episodes that we did have been very very helpful for him. Um and and he said he resonated with a lot of what everyone said in those. He said from body shame uh, obesity, awkwardness, fitting in as a queer guy, um, being on the spectrum, a recovering addict, a lot of it hit hard. He, he, he went on to tell me that he, he uses fantasy books and a lot of that as, as an escape from reality, which I think is a lot of us. That's, I can tell you that's exactly why I am so into this world. It is my chosen escape from the reality that I don't want to be a part of. But yeah, uh, Jason went on to say that, you know, it's comforting to know that, uh, others have gone through similar struggles and found solace through the same stories that he found solace in. Um, and it's wonderful to find a community with that shared experience. And that was an unexpected outcome of this podcast for him. So I can tell you, I think that was an unexpected outcome of this podcast for all of us. It, it, it's, I, I started this hoping this was going to be just a lot of fun and it turned into a community and a family and, and I'm loving it. Absolutely. Yes. yes. And and Jason, you've been there since the beginning, so you're part of the family too. So we love you. We we're glad you're on the mend, and we we hope you uh, get better soon. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Yes. Thank you, Jason. F cancer. Yes. Uh, I I think we can all get in on that. Let, let's on, on three. A big fuck cancer. Ready? One, two, three. Fuck, fuck cancer. cancer. Um, and that is our show for this week. Uh, we want to say thank you, as always, to Michael and Jen out at the Secret Watch Party Island headquarters. Thank you, Michael and Jen. Secret Island. You can find us on Twitter at What Watch Party, W-O-T Watch Party. Also, WhatWatchParty at gmail.com if you want to send in for mailbag or just uh, send in some some thoughts that you want to share with us. Uh, we, we, we'll like it either way. Uh, final question for the panel. You've got a Turangrial sitting in front of you. What does it do? So, speaking of things that we don't know the use for anymore, and there's a ton of lost knowledge, and if only you could find out, it would be extremely helpful. Um, Mine would be a translator. 
both spoken and written, I think. So a Tur Angriol Universal Translator. Yes. But what form would it take? I think mine would be cute. It would be a teddy bear. There you go. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to have to go with, uh, the good old standby of the Dinglehover. Um, I'm holding up a fork for those who can't see. Um, <laughs> as for what it would do, uh, help me find lost things. That's what I want. I want like something that will help me find keys or post-it notes that I stuck somewhere and just don't show Problem up. Problem is what happens when you can't find your Dinglehopper. Mm. Yeah, then I'm screwed. You have a secondary dingle hopper. It's a salad fork, that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, DW, what do you got? Well, I kind of have two answers. I have the one I think I already have, and I have the one I would like to have. So as far as uh, what I, I think I already have, I'm pretty sure something, because, you, you know, we're talking about the things we wouldn't know that they're doing it until they do it. I'm pretty sure I have somewhere around here a Tarungaral that increases gravity. Because the amount of things I drop in my life is ridiculous. <laughs> there is no way this is natural. There is something. And every time I touch it and activate it, something in my hands gets heavier and just falls out of my hand. So I'm pretty sure that one exists somewhere in my house. I haven't figured out what it is yet. The one I would like to have, though, is I'd probably go on the healing side. I'd like something that that when you have that moment, you can like... Uh, you know, be it a bowl that you make the soup in it and the soup is a cure-all or at least a soothe-all. Um, that would be what I'd want. Something that, that when you're having those hard days, when you're having a pain from something, when you're having uh, an affliction that's taking too long or whatever, you know, just having the ability to know you can ease that at least, if not cure it, would be my favorite thing in the world. Have you been watching Encanto? <laughs> I love Encanto, but that is not where I... I we don't talk about Encanto. Uh, the Tur Angriol, I would like. Um, I don't care what shape it is. I just want that when I touch it, it edits all of you without me having to go through and do it myself. <laughs> 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 Automates fair. the blooper That's reel. That's valid. Nice. So you just want a cereal bowl is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Cereal bowl I, I, full of vodka, maybe? That That's a rough morning. <laughs> I don't, I no, don't know. That no. I've never got into Beerios or vodka Wheaties. <laughs> None of those ever crossed I, 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 I have definitely done Beerios on more than one occasion. Oh. And, and, and I can say it's it's actually not that bad. Honey nut if Beerios. If you like beer. Yeah. <laughs> Honey nut probably would help it. Yeah. Oh shit. Do I do I have to answer this question too? Yeah, you um, do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I haven't even thought. What <sighs> What would my turn trail? Oh, I ha I have just to go with the cereal bowl thing. I just have one story. Uh uh my brother had lived with some roommates and they were extremely broke. And at one point, uh he had walked in on somebody eating cereal out of a bunt cake pan. With a shoehorn. How old were they? I, that sounds extremely I, college. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, early twenties. <laughs> like cereal out of like a, a a big plastic like 
sour cream container or something because mm-hmm. I was out of bowls yep. and used like the big mixing spoon to eat it or something. Because, yep. but yeah. Yeah, I don't I've know. never been as far as using a shoehorn. Takes it over yeah, the top. That, that's that's yeah. that's, that's, that's super punk the, uh, points right there. Um, my favorite was still the individual boxes of cereal that you could cut open and turn into a bowl. Oh yeah, with that little the wax little mini paper boxes insert. when they started making them. Oh, yeah, and you could they pour the milk into in the wax paper. Oh yeah. They, they, yeah, some of them had like perforated sections. Of, so it's a small box, but the side box was perforated. You could flip that open. You'd cut the wax paper uh, or holding the cereal, unfold and you pour it, the milk kinda. right in. Yeah, yeah. and you pour so the instead, milk right in. I yeah, never instead noticed. Instead of being like a plastic bag, it was like a little wax paper bag, and yeah. it kind of folded what? over the sides of the box, so it would be a self-contained bowl. I always just treated them like mini boxes of cereal and poured it. Oh my gosh, I've been well, missing some out. Of them, some of them didn't have the perforation. So it was, right. I think that was something that came out of people who like, hey, I bet I could do this. And then the cereal companies were like, oh, maybe we should design the box that way. So it wasn't always that way, but you can find the ones that are. They've got the perforation on the side. You can tell when it's designed that way. Yep. This is for people who really don't like doing dishes. Ah, that was me. That was me. Yeah. Um... Okay, I have my answer. We're waiting with bated breath. Is that the ability? It gives us people bated breath? Like speaking it like Teddy Ruxpin kind of thing. <laughs> be a little creepy, but... Uh... That, that would be a lot creepy. Um, I mean, Especially I guess when be... the batteries get low. Yeah. Oh. I was, was going to say that might be less creepy than doing it in a Furby, but not by much. No. no. Party, party. <laughs> And Samaria is just like, what the fuck is a Teddy Ruxpin? <laughs> it's not part of my education. I'm sorry. No. It, it, it was, was a, a toy from when we were bear. young. It was a teddy bear with a, a cassette tape player, player in its back. Yeah, it and you put the cassettes books. in and, and its mouth would move while he and was the reading eyes. a book. Don't yeah, forget blink. those eyes. Oh, yeah, the eyes would like blink and look around okay, all creepy. I didn't think anything but would be creepier than a Furby. But... The oh, the, would it was very cute, down. but it was... <laughs> Like you could put, uh, like one of my friends always loved putting a kiss tape in it, mm-hmm. and then it would, you know, be like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah, I did that with some hair metal back in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. always fun to have Teddy Ruxpin singing Quiet Riot. Okay, well, most of that's going to get edited out and, put ah. in the, and probably put in the, put in the, the blooper, blooper reel. Blooper reel, okay, we'll take it. 